Dean Daniel here. It's been a difficult week for me. Tabletop Tim reported me to the police for beef smuggling. I didn't even know that was a crime. Please, patrons, Hedwig Carlo, a socialist hobgoblin, help. I don't even know how this all started. I don't even know what I did. Anyone, please help me. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Probably Bad Podcast, a podcast which is definitely bad. I don't know why I'm talking in this news presenter voice, but I'm Mod Pencil. And I'm not a news presenter. Today's Probably Bad RPG idea is... Your PC's enchanting sword has been disenchanted. It used to believe in your heroic mission, but now it's not sure and would like some time alone before it slays any more goblins. This is the reason why all items should be intelligent. You are a hero, you got a sword, you got a shield, you got a suit of armor, you've got to persuade all of them to go along with your quest or they'll just refuse to stab people. Yeah, I do feel like this is a problem with sentient weapons that isn't often explored, which is just what if they have a different agenda to you? Yeah. Like they can't do anything about it because they're also inanimate, but they're sentient and they have complaints. Yeah, I think like I don't know if sentient weapons can like they can refuse to use their magical powers at least. So you're just swinging a normal sword. I feel it's almost a form of, of passive resistance. It's just like, well, you can swing me, but I'm not gonna help. Yeah. I I also feel it should be enchanted so it can grow arms. Why? Then it can like punch you. Or scuttle away, like, on its arms. This is so my new... Is, is this all sentient items, or just if they become so against what you're doing, they just grow all limbs? All sentient items, this is my sword, the Sword of Arms. Um, instead of stabbing people, it's just got, hey. like, 15 arms, and as you swing it, they punch you. I didn't realise the pun, but thank you. <laughs> This is my sentient magical weapon, Greg. I'm grabbing him by the legs and swinging him at people. He's a wizard. I mean, I, I have been in a D&D session where someone picked up one quickling and threw them at another quickling. I think enchanted swords need rights. Like, sentient magical items are really weird as a concept when you think about it. Yeah, like, the fact that they are inanimate, <sighs> just, like, their life must be pain. Yeah. Like, just, just you're a cup, and that's your life. You're a cup in a dungeon. My question is, like, this, the... What if all magic items are sentient, and we just don't know because most of them can't speak? That is a... That would be uh, interesting, like, like you cast um, Detect Thoughts and just as a joke you cast it on your potion and it starts screaming at you not to drink it. Except that one potion that's weirdly into it. <laughs> yeah, luckily all potions are sent to you, but also all potions are massively into it. They're all, like, incredibly down to be drunk. I think this might be the one case where we can accurately say 
Is this war? <laughs> Enchantment of drink me, daddy. <laughs> but yes. But, so. Actually, that is a thing. We, at, at the start, we assumed that the enchanted sword in question can speak. But what if it can't? It's Yeah, it's just there like, you know what? I'm not going to glow in the presence of goblins. Maybe I want them to get you. Like, okay, so you're an adventurer. You're on a magic sword, and only this magic sword can defeat the big bad. But also, it's incredibly passive-aggressive and can't communicate, so you need to figure out what it wants based on when it does and doesn't use its powers, and use that to keep it happy so you can kill the big bad. I love it. It's, it's like Blue's Clues. <laughs> The sword gives you clues by pointing at things or glowing or like mm. deciding when to work and not work. Yeah. And then you have to put the clues together to figure out what it wants. You have a suit of armor and it can only communicate by charades, but obviously it can't move by itself. So you have to go in the suit of armor and move around randomly. And when it does and doesn't stop you moving, will put you in the charades positions it's trying to get across. I like this. This feels like um, like a motion detecting game. Yeah, like you get in, you get in the right position, and the and the armor just like glows for a second. Like, yeah, you got it. This is my magical suit of armor. It has motion controls. I guess the suits of armor do have motion controls. You know, technically, all clothing has motion control. <laughs> I would make just random things sentient if I was making magical items. Well, yeah, but you are a chaos goblin. That is true. Like, I think there should just be, like, a single sentient hat. Just somewhere in the world. Yeah. Does it have any other abilities, or does no. it just... It's just it's aware not. of what's happening to it at all times. Yeah. It's just constantly screaming on the inside. Do sentient magical items feel pain? I mean, I, I would assume so. Like, if that them. sentient hat becomes damaged, does it feel that? Like, I would have to assume so. Does it feel itself being sewn? I feel like, yeah, it must do. This is our hat of eternal agony. You can dip like a damaged sentient magical item in a healing potion to fix it. Because, mm. like, where do you draw the draw the line between a person and an object? Like, is a sentient object a person? I mean, I feel it's a person. Like, what if the healing item is sent? The healing potion is sentient, and then it's just continuously healing itself. I think what you've invented there is the worst possible way to create infinite healing potions. <laughs> so all you need to do is keep stabbing the healing potion, and then when it heals itself, it will produce more healing potion. I mean, I was just thinking, you know, you drink some of it, and then it fills itself back up, but I'm intrigued by the concept <laughs> of stabbing a liquid. You just stab it. Yeah, okay, so you have an infinite healing potion, it's always there, admittedly it is constantly screaming and begging for death, but once you get past that, it's an infinite healing potion. Well, that's why you keep it in your bag of holding, it's sentient, but it doesn't need to breathe, so you put it in there, you can't hear it screaming. Mm. The bag of holding is also sentient. 
Like, I don't like how many things can be sentient in D and D. I mean, theoretically, according to like the Dungeon Master's Guide, you can theoretically make anything sentient. This is the problem. Yeah. Like, yeah, like it's you have no idea whether or not the chair you're sitting on is like able to form hatred of you. You're just sitting there going about your life and you have no idea that your classes hate you as a human being. Pretty sure mine does. It's the only explanation for how much they try and fall off my face. I'm sorry that you and your glasses are not friends. It's like the mimic thing of like, mm. you know, everything you own could be a mimic. And everything you own could be a um, sentient life form. Anyone you know could be mind-controlled. Like, people don't, like, consider how terrifying the D&D world is. Here's a question. If you kill a mimic... Yeah. Does it... Because I, I, I don't have the monster manual to hand. If you kill a mimic, does it become... Like, does it go back to some base shape, or does it just become... A dead object. I think, I believe canonically it sort of goes back to, goes to a combination of its base shape and the thing it last transformed to, so a pile of spongy wood. Do you think if you killed a chest mimic, you could, you could then turn that body into a functional chest? I think so. You just... Yeah, you kill a chest mimic, you put, um, yeah, you kill a chest mimic, you take the body, you taxiderm the body, now you've got a chest, then you enchant it to be magical, and then you enchant it to be sentient. Now you've got a needlessly horrific bot. Hey, turning dead mimics into sentient magic items makes so much sense, I might have to make it canon in my setting. Yeah. And, like, all sentient magic items are just haunted by mimic ghosts. A mimic ghost is actually kind of terrifying, because I have to assume it would retain some level of shape-shifting ability. Yeah, so what it is? Turn into other ghosts. That's all, like, you go to sit down on a chair, you fall right through it because it's intangible, and then it eats you. I, I see nothing wrong with this. <laughs> but, yeah, all magic items come from the same, like... So there's just one giant mimic, and you cut bits of it off, and you make those into magic. Side quest idea. Your party has to go and kill a mimic in order to create this legendary sentient sword. Hmm. I feel you could add a few steps here and just ask the mimic to be a sword. No, because a, a mimic of a sword is just like a meaty sword that can chomp. And then you enchant it. This is, this is inserting the Mimic's soul into a really strong sword to make it a super magical sentient sword. That is true, but also, can you enchant a Mimic that's turned into a sword? And then you have a Vorpal Mimic. I feel like, as a player, I would definitely want to be able to do that. As a DM, I would absolutely not want my players to do that. Plus free Mimic. It's just so free It's just free better than any other mimic. <laughs> three units. Yeah, it, it's free free mimic goods. <laughs> free mimic goods. Ooh, you could cast dancing mimic and then you just have a little mimic doing a boogie. 
That's my favourite minor illusion. <laughs> Dancing Mimic is a ninth level spell. Um, <laughs> I feel like before we go through every single enchantment in the book and how they would work on a Mimic, Ghost Touch Mimic. If you, if you want us to do that, then me message us and we will make it an episode. New bonus episode, we, en we enchant mimics. Mimics, will it blend? <laughs> will it enchant? <laughs> we, ca we cast um, the dancing enchantment on different magical creatures. Like, you presumably cast it on, like, a construct? Because that's just an item. See, now we've gone full circle now back to, is a sentient item a person? Yeah. Can you be an object and a person? They're, they're discrete categories of things magic will affect. Yeah. But there's nothing saying that you can't be both. Hmm. Is a construct both? I think, like, yeah, I mean, a sentient construct is presumably a person. It has, like, a soul and all that. But also, is a person an object? We're just meat with a ghost in it. <laughs> that is true. Like, and by the way, they're like canonically they're created by like you take a spirit from the elemental planes and then you basically lobotomize it and then you stick it in the body in the statue you made. And the reason they get they can easily get so aggressive is because they remember that they're trapped in a trapped in like a stone body and go on a rampage understandable like it's one of those things where it's like okay that's also quite horrific along with the fact that there are sentient magical items um yeah the D, D world is surprisingly horrifying everything's either a mimic or internally screaming especially me but yeah if if three people message or email us saying do will it enchant? We will do that as an episode. Doppelgangers too, like everything in the D and D verse is horrifying. At least we can definitively say doppelgangers are people. Doppelgangers are objects, people. You cannot to the extent that all people are also objects. You cannot create a dancing doppelganger. I feel like you probably can, as an illusion. Mm. Doppelgangers famously cannot and will not dance. If you suspect someone you know has been replaced by a doppelganger, from to do the Macarena. If they say no, they are a doppelganger and you are legally allowed to hit them with a frying pan. So what you're saying is it's very lucky that I bullied Nick into learning the Macarena before our wedding, otherwise they might have been a doppelganger. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is this is how you can detect like all shapeshifters. Sorry for calling you out like that, Nick. Anyway, like, questions? No shapeshifter can do the Macarena. Be sure to check with everyone you know that they can do the Macarena. We, we have questions. Um, Cobalt's Various Posts wants to know, how many Geneva Convention articles can you violate with a single spell cast? Let's find out. So, we do have the Geneva Convention up, because we are, like, 
planning this? Yeah, so the main thing I noticed reading through the Geneva Convention articles is most of them are about who you can and can't hit. Yeah. So I feel like you can violate a surprising number just by targeting, like, four or five individuals. Yeah, just cast Fireball in a hospital. Well, the people you can't hit is non-combatants, um, kids, medical workers, people who are surrendering, prisoners of war. So if you have something that will hit five targets, which there's definitely spells that will do that, then you can violate five articles of the Geneva Convention at once. With one spell. Hmm. Like, so I feel, actually, that we're possibly taking this too literally. Um, and the best, and the single use for spell that can violate most Geneva Conventions is suggestion, cast on a king, commit as many war crimes as possible. <laughs> You're a genius. I, I have At just... By point, is it you that's violating the Geneva Convention? Okay. Possession or magic jar on um, a king and then commit as many war crimes as possible. That one works. I like that. Could you I'm also just use prestidigitation to just put red crosses on every medical thing that you find? <laughs> I like to using it to break convention but incredibly, in incredibly petty ways. What I think I would do, I would cast higher level summon monster, summon like a Balor, and then get it to put red crosses on everything that isn't like official red cross um, stuff. <laughs> like, it's chaotic evil, it'll be down for it. I, I feel like violating that specific Geneva <laughs> Convention article, which I'm, I think is Protocol 3. Yeah. Violating Protocol 3 of the Geneva Convention is possibly the most chaotic evil thing. Hmm. Like it's, it's, oh, it's the epitome of pointless evil. It's also illegal to fake surrender, so you can violate the Geneva Convention by accidentally fireballing yourself in the face, and then when people come over to help you, fireballing them. See, the problem is you've used the word accidentally there. Hmm. And I like there are crimes that you can do accidentally, but I don't hmm. think. Oh, actually, that is a fair point. One, what you do is you cast charm person on your enemy, and if you succeed, you deck them. Yeah, that's false surrender. Yes, no, I know how to do. So, like, it's illegal. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's illegal to attack um, someone who's uh, clearly injured and sick. So, what you do is you accidentally cast fireball on yourself. And then when the enemies come over and start stabbing you, we have you have successfully committed, uh, or at least allowed, a violation of the Geneva Convention. See, I still don't think if something's an accident, it can count as false surrender. Uh, no, it's not false surrender. It's attacking someone who is wounded and sick. Oh, okay. Specifically you. It's in the same way you can, like... See, this, this, is, this is the same logic as Joan of Arc was a war criminal because she brought herself a civilian into combat. Yeah, like you can, yeah. Like by your that logic, everyone that signs up for the army is a war criminal. Like, you know, it's the same way you can very easily get involved in a mugging just by walking down a dark alleyway and loudly counting your money. Like, yeah, I think if we, so yeah, I feel, I still feel possessing a king is the best way to commit war crimes. There's something that you're welcome to take out of context. 
Um, <laughs> you, don't, uh, you didn't say it was a morally good way to do it. You just said it was efficient. Uh, yeah, it seems like a lot. Like it seems like a lot of the Geneva Convention is mostly um, who you can and can't commit war on, rather than what things you do in war. So well, you know, yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's who you can hit. Any spell can violate the Geneva Convention if you believe in yourself. Any spell can violate the Geneva Convention if you use it on a child. Yeah. It was nice having listeners. Um... <laughs> Again, I... Anne, not May. It's an important <laughs> distinction. I distinctly remember not being cancelled on Twitter. It was great. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yes. Probably bad RPG idea, cast Fireball on a five-year-old. Right, um... <laughs> Hi, I'm Hazel, and I present the Bread and Thread podcast with Liz, also known as Paper from Probably Bad. Um, Bread and Thread is a podcast about food history and domestic history and generally social history. We delve into a lot of different things. So if you'd like to know which country has laws against importing sheep? What cookbook will tell you how to make a great martini and also how to survive a nuclear bomb attack? Uh, or why you are using a fork right now? Then come over to Bread and Thread and give us a listen. You can find us on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are. I don't know. <laughs> Our next question is anonymous. How would you gradually change a D&D campaign until the players suddenly realise they've been playing the soap? I feel like with most players, you've already got an advantage here because they all have tragic backstories, yeah. much like soap characters. Like, yeah, I think what you need to do... Okay. So you have them like go, okay, uh, this is going to be quite a character-heavy heavy campaign. Could you cover some backstories and some NPCs I can work in? I'm like, okay, sure. And then you keep working those NPCs in, NPCs in, but in the most ludicrous ways possible. So it's like, ah, I, I lost my my wife and I'm trying to find her. Like, you know, I, I lost contact with her after some tragedy or whatever, and I'm trying to find her. And it's like, you find her again, and they're like, woo. And it's like, you find her again, but this time she says that she's actually your mother. And then, oh no, you find her again, but she's actually in three kobolds in a trench coat shopkeeper that you mentioned in passing in your backstory is actually your long-lost twin brother with amnesia. Yeah, yeah. yeah, make every single NPC somehow related to the PCs. The big bad is actually your grandma. She just wants to tell you how much you've grown. If the character dies, bring them back as an evil NPC who hmm. faked their death so they could go and do evil. Every child ages one year per session. I think how, also, how is that a soap? It's a soap opera thing, like because um, you know babies grow up very fast, and like soaps um, have like because of the way soaps do time versus the way actual babies do time. It's actual babies do time. It's a common like thing for children to age weirdly quickly because they're being swapped out for new actors. 
I, I did not know that, but also I have watched approximately one episode of a soap. I, I used to watch EastEnders. There is my um, tragic uh, backstory. Like, I, I've heard a lot of episodes of The Archers because my parents listened to it when I was a kid. But you, you don't have to swap actors out as much for radio. Yeah. Because you don't see them. Yeah, like you so, just have stock baby noises for as long as you need there to be a baby. Yeah, soaps have a lot of like um, swapping out actors. So I guess just replace like replace one of your players with a different player and refuse to acknowledge that they're a different person, including like addressing them by the old player's yeah. name. Yeah, yeah, like just ah oh, hi, oh it's uh it's Tim, and then just like some completely different person walks in. See if you can convince your player base they're going mad, as people tend to do when they watch a lot of soap. How is it we keep coming back to gaslighting people? That's, that's, that's soap operas, baby. For the ultimate soap opera, though, you need to separately gaslight the mm. characters. No, I think the best way to soap opera, to represent a soap opera, is, so it's a normal D&D campaign. And then, middle of second session, you reveal to one of the play players that you've always been in love with them, one of the players that you're their secret brother, one of the players that you're their, their long-lost child, and one of the players that you were the one who um, destroyed their house that one time. And if you are dating one of your players, that can't be the one that you confess your love to. Yes. That's that the one who you confess to being their, their long-lost um, sibling. Oh, the worst one? Yeah. Um, this will get a very soap opera vibe to your game very quickly. Yeah, I guess, actually, I think the best thing to do is, like, at the end of the second session, each player, each other player independently and privately confess that you've always been in love with them for years. Also tell them that they can't tell the others because you're yes. not ready. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, you know, you'll get something very soap opera -y. When I die, I want to send, like, a text to literally every single person on my contact list telling them that I've always been in love with them just to make the funeral as awkward as possible. And my, my contact list definitely includes a plumber that we see once a year. <laughs> Mine includes my landlord. <laughs> I, I, think, I think my... Not last landlord, but the one before, because I keep forgetting to delete. Hmm. That would be yeah. interesting. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the best way to gradually change your D&D &D campaign until a place and you realise you're playing a soap isn't to do a soap, like, in the game of the, um, in, in the setting game, but to slowly make your D&D &D group more like a soap opera. Like, what if one of your players has a twin, Find that twin and drive them to be evil. Like, what leave it up to... In my case, two of your players are twins. Separately bribe each of them to be evil, but tell them that the other one is still is like being the good twin. That could work. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what I've devised here is a great strategy to destroy all your relationships and no longer have friends. Um, 
at I mean, which that's point, what a lot of probably bad RPG ideas ultimately are. At which point you'll be spending a lot less money on D&D supplements. I, I don't think you understand how this hobby works. Alternately, you have free, um, you have free game group. And you try and get it into like, uh, oh no, the GM's been cheating on us with a different game group. Insist that you're like D and D game group monogamous. Tell all of your game groups that they're your favorite. Yes, especially if they share players. <laughs> yeah, take every player aside and go. Just so you know, you're my favorite player. I'm only continuing this campaign for you. Um, see, see how it goes. I love that because you get you get such different reactions from different players like there'd be some that were just like oh no don't keep going because of me and then others that are just like yeah i am the core of all campaigns i'm in <laughs> coincidentally they've been told that by their other gm earlier in the week <laughs> who you've been colluding with <laughs> take every gm in your city and you all work together and it will hopefully end with everyone's players fist fighting in a McDonald's car park. It, it's perfect. As I said, I can see no way this can go wrong. Um, so, uh, thank you for listening. Specifically you, you're our favourite listener. Don't tell we're, the others. We're only continuing this podcast because of you. Um, if you want to message us, you can do so on Tumblr at Probably Bad RPG Ideas, Twitter at Bad Probably, or on on this this thing called email. It's very new. Um, at Probably Bad Podcast at Gmail dot com. Uh, if you want to support us, get access to things like bonus episodes, one shots, and short RPGs that Pencil and our producer slash editor Nick make. You can go to patreon.com slash probably bad RPG ideas. And, and remember, remember to have, have a probably, probably bad, bad day. day.